that is. I want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me. I want to get right into the text to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. You know the story. If you've read through the book of Acts, you know what follows the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are on their way to the temple at the hour of prayer. They are headed to pray together as they go to worship the Lord and have this hour, this time of prayer. As they come into the temple, uh, they are encountered by the man who is lame and who has never walked. And he is there, he is begging, he has done this day after day after day. Perhaps he's even seen Jesus and the disciples as they've come in and out of the temple at different times. But for whatever reason on this particular day, God has him right in the place where he wants him uh, to get the greatest glory to himself. And as Peter and John pass by, this man calls out to them and asks alms of them. And Peter says to him, uh, look on us. And he thinks, hey, they're getting ready to give me something. These guys, these, these wealthy-looking fishermen look like they're about to, they're about to give me some, some kind of coinage. And, and he looks on them expecting to receive something. And Peter says those great words, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the wonderful thing is, is that here's a man who has never walked a day in his life. God not only instantly brings strength to those legs that have never formed the muscles necessary, to the mind that has never developed the understanding and the motor skills to be able to walk. The Bible says that immediately he began to leap. He jumped up and he leaped and he praised God. Boy, what a great miracle that takes place in that moment as God brings not just physical healing, but he gives the ability and the knowledge and the understanding for this man to begin to praise God in the temple. The crowd begins to gather, as you can imagine. If something like that happened, you know that would gather a crowd. And that was the purpose of the miracles in those days was to, to be a sign of the power of God to the nation of Israel and a warning that if they continued to reject as a nation that judgment was going to come. And so they gathered around and Peter begins to preach. You remember, as we saw a couple weeks ago, God used the natural tendency of Peter to speak boldly and Peter's not timid, and he begins to preach, and he actually preaches some, some pretty strong things uh, to the people. He tells them that, uh, hey, you know, you murdered the Son of God. He doesn't tone it down. He doesn't hold back, and he preaches boldly, and the people begin to hear. The leaders are concerned, and they call Peter and John before them. They know that they have to be careful because of the crowd and because they have seen this miracle take place. And so they just tell them, look, you just, you just can't be preaching in the name of Jesus anymore. Let me just say just a moment. It strikes me that there are those in our day who seem to think that if we do a bunch of nice things, the world is just going to love us. That if we do a bunch of nice things, that if we do good deeds, then this world that is beginning to show increased opposition to the gospel, that they're, some, they're somehow going to overlook us when the persecution comes. And I want, to, want you to see that here they've just done one of the greatest deeds, one of the greatest miracles that could ever be performed. And the immediate response is, you've got to quit preaching Jesus. There are those who think, oh, I've heard this often. People say, man, I want to be known more for what I'm for than what I'm against. I don't care what you're for. You can be for a lot of good things, 
But today in our world, if you're against certain things, it doesn't matter what you're for. And it certainly was true in the day of the early church. As we look at this, I want to remind you that this is a spirit-filled church. This is a spirit-filled church. They've just come off the day of Pentecost. They are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they are proclaiming the message of the gospel. Let us never think, as we talk about and pray for an outpouring of the Spirit in our hearts, and we pray for the filling of the Spirit in our lives, let us never be mistaken to think that everything then is going to flow smoothly, that there's not going to be any bumps in the road, there's not going to be any opposition, there's not going to be any problems. As we seek to be filled with the Spirit and we pray for God to pour out His Spirit on our church, for us to be a Spirit-filled, Spirit-empowered church as they were, we can expect that there will be some opposition. And you'll notice that it didn't take long for it to come. Immediately after chapter 2, where the great outpouring comes, thousands are saved, believers are being added daily to the church, suddenly there's opposition. As we think about the opposition, I, I would remind us that we live in a very special time and have lived in a very special time. Of all the church throughout history and of all the church throughout the world, we have uniquely had liberties and freedoms that the vast majority of believers have never enjoyed. We here this morning are here because we have liberty and freedom to do so. And there are believers around the world that if they were to gather in much smaller numbers would be putting their lives at risk for doing so. There are those that simply to name the name of Christ. And so we, we have lived a very unique life, most of us. And so as we begin to think about opposition, there's occasionally the opposition as we share the gospel a friend who says, I don't want to hear about it, a family member that says, I'll have nothing to do with you, a co-worker or a boss that says, I don't want you talking about religion here on the job. Or there's, there's some pushback, but we begin to see this increase over time. I'm reminded of the story several years ago. I've actually been able to see this twice. That in, in Oxford, England, there's a great monument in the, in the middle of town, right in the middle of one of the streets, called the Martyr's Memorial. Two of the men who died there. One's name was Hugh Latimer. In 1555, because he believed in salvation by faith alone, seems like a radical doctrine, doesn't it? Salvation by faith alone. Because of belief in that doctrine, because of the belief that salvation was in Jesus alone, he was willing to lay his life down and he was taken to the stake. He was a bishop. He was in his late 60s and he was taken to the stake to be burned to death because he would not change his teaching that salvation is by faith alone. While he was there, there was another man uh, by the name of Nicholas Ridley who stood with him to be burned at the stake. And as they stood there, the, the last words that came that are reported out of Hugh Latimer's mouth, he looked at Nicholas Ridley and he said, play the man, Mr. Ridley. What did he mean by that? He meant show courage, be steadfast, to the end. Be willing, be bold, be courageous, be willing to lay your life down. He said, by God's grace, we shall light a candle in England this day that shall never be put out. Both of them gave their lives for the message of the gospel. As I'm reminded of that, I look at this passage, and I want to share just a few thoughts with you this morning. I actually have about 10 points, but calm down. Okay, it's okay. We're not going to go through all ten of these. If we do, we'll move pretty quickly through them. 
But there's a lot that we can learn. If we look at this church, we can see what does it look like when a spirit-filled church encounters opposition. I I don't have a martyr's complex. And I understand that what we experience in our culture and in our society is nowhere near what many others have faced. None of us have gone as far as Latimer and Ridley or others who are willing to lay their lives down. But how will we respond I'm going to tell you that my initial response usually when there's opposition to the gospel is not a spirit-filled response. Uh, I, come from a, I, I come from a long line of arguers. Don't say amen, Lynn. I don't want to hear. My family, not this part of my family, my family, uh, we spent 45 minutes at the, dinner, at the Thanksgiving dinner table once arguing over the deep theological truth of whether Kit Carson the mountain man ever actually ate mountain lion. I'm telling you, man, we, we'll argue over anything. We just, just don't even start us down that path. So when, someone, so when someone disagrees or when someone misrepresents the truth of the gospel, boy, that's common in our day when people that don't really understand the truth of Scripture will say, this is what Christians believe. And I want to straighten them out. I want to say, no, that's not what we believe. This is what the gospel is. Or someone that wants to be belligerent. I'm going to have to just admit and be, be totally clear with you, spirit-filled is not the first response. So what does it look like to respond to this opposition and the increasing opposition of our culture to the truth, and especially the truth of the gospel. Well, let's see, what, let's see what the early church did as they were filled with the Spirit. A Spirit-filled church responds by engaging with their world. Notice what is taking place throughout these chapters, chapter 3 and chapter 4. You don't see them holding up in a little room off to the side. You see them boldly engaging their world. Peter and John going to the temple to pray, still involved. You see them responding to the man who has a need. He thinks his greatest need is silver and gold. But Peter knows that he needs something far greater. He, he needs the healing of the flesh. Boy, that's better than any silver or gold he could have gotten. And beyond the healing of the flesh, the greatest thing that he needed was Jesus. The greatest need of our world today is not for people to be straightened out politically. It's not for people to be straightened out ideologically. It's not for people to be straightened out about what true Christianity is. The greatest need of our world today is Jesus. And Peter says, look, we're still going to engage. This man is talking to us. We're not going to pass him by. Let us be so careful that in our response to a hostile, potentially hostile culture, that we do not neglect those around us whose need is Jesus. And let us not forget that those who sometimes are those attacking, they're not our enemies. They are people who also need Jesus. So they engage with the world around them. They were respectful, and that's very, that's very important. I see a lot of Christians who are responding to disagreement and people that will attack, and they get very hostile. We'll sometimes get hostile with each other, won't we? Let me just say that one of the worst things that happens sometimes is discussion between believers on social media. I'm going to say that again because some of you look a little shocked by it, but it's the truth. One of the greatest hindrances in our day 
to the gospel can be exchanges and responses between believers on social media. You go on places like Twitter and Facebook, and you see how Christians argue with each other and attack each other and are belligerent with each other. And that is, that is not spirit-filled. You may be factually right, but be spiritually wrong. Amen. That's good preaching. I'm going to just say it. If y'all won't say it, don't make me amen my own preaching. Because I will do it. As pastor would say, that's a good place to say amen right there. Amen. They responded with, with respect. A second thing I want you to see is that we have to be obedient regardless of the outcome. We have to be obedient regardless of the outcome. What is our task as a church? Well, first and foremost, it's to bring glory to God. But the mission that God has given to us is to proclaim the message of the gospel. We have some of our students and workers who are on a trip beginning this morning. They left after the early service, and they're headed out. We prayed over them and sent them out. And what are they doing? They're going out to engage with churches and communities and neighborhoods, and they're going to have a fun time doing it, and they're going to have fun with the kids. But let me tell you what they're purpose is. Their purpose is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we don't know what the response might be. There are those who will, well, you preach that exclusive Jesus and we want nothing to do with it. We are okay if they're, they're okay if we're religious. They're okay if we come to church, but just keep it in the church. Let me tell you that there is a vast difference between freedom of religion and freedom of worship. Freedom of worship says you can do what you want to as long as you keep it inside the four walls of the church. Freedom of religion says, I'm free to practice what the Bible tells me to do every single day of my life, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And part of that is proclaiming the message of the gospel. And so whatever the outcome, whatever takes place, Peter stands up and he boldly proclaims the message of the gospel. We have to do what is right and trust God. I have talked with people just in this past week who are having to make choices on their jobs between doing what's expected of them on their job and what they are trying to follow God to do. Now, sometimes there's no conflict, but there may come conflict where they cannot do what's expected of them, and they'll have to make that choice. I'm not sure where the line is for everyone, but I will tell you that there are boundaries and there are lines where we have to choose. And what did the disciples say in this context? They said to the leaders, you decide whether it is better for us to obey man or to obey God. And they obeyed God regardless of the outcome, to be obedient regardless. Let me point you to verse 23 in chapter 4. How do we face opposition with the power of God? Be committed to the fellowship of believers. They call them in and they tell Peter and John, don't preach anymore in the name of Jesus. And what do Peter and John do? What's the first thing they do? Verse 23, being let go, they went to their own company. If there's ever been a time when believers must stand together to encourage one another in the truth. Have you ever noticed how when you feel like you're the only one speaking the truth or standing for the truth, it's easy to be quiet? Not go along with what's being lied and being said, 
but just to sort of step back and not say anything at all. But when you know there's someone to stand with you, when you know there's someone who will be there with you to encourage you and to take that same stand, our voices get a little bolder. And then when there's somebody else, they get a little bolder. Boy, we need to encourage each other. We need to let each other know, look, you are not alone. And that is one of the blessings of gathering together in the house of God, is to be reminded that we are not, as Elisha thought, I'm the only one that hasn't bowed the knee to Baal. In in, in living in this world, does it ever seem that way? Does it ever seem like there's hardly anybody that stands for the truth anymore? We see Christians that are changing their views, and we see well-known Christians who are what they call deconverting. They're walking away from the faith. And let me tell you, that's nothing new. That has taken place since the early church. Do you remember a man by the name of Demas? Paul said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Deconversion is nothing new. But we see that, and we see those walking away. If there's ever been a time when believers come together, It must be now. I'm not talking about casting aside our doctrinal distinctives. We hold to those. But there are things that bind us and draw us together in the gospel of Jesus Christ that we need each other. We must be faithful to that gospel. We've got to stay focused. Notice that they stay focused on what's important. Their anger is not toward those who lash out at them. Their anger is not toward those who are telling them, don't preach the gospel. Notice what they pray for. I love that they come together as the church and they begin to pray. And notice what they pray for down in verse 30. Verse 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and take this persecution away from your people. Is that what your Bible says? I'm going to see how many of y'all were paying attention. Some of you didn't quite get there, did you? That's not what it says, is it? You see, they, what we would pray is, Lord, take away the persecution. Take away the opposition. They don't ask for the opposition to be removed. They ask for boldness to face the opposition. Grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and the signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. What are we to be bold about proclaiming the word. Give us boldness to speak the truth. Give us boldness. There are plenty of things to cause us to be intimidated, and that is a part of what they do. They are bold in the face of intimidation. There are plenty of things to intimidate us today. Some people are fearful that if they speak up, somebody's going to think they're a, a nut, or they're going to identify them with somebody that is a nut. Can we just agree that some Christians are nuts? Nobody here this morning, not y'all. We had a few in the eighth service, but not y'all. Look around. There's a few nuts here this morning. You know what I'm talking about. There are people who do speak the truth, but, man, they go to extreme. They are, they are ugly. I used to have a pastor friend that would say, pardon the grammar, this was his, he was an old country preacher, God don't like ugly and nobody. That's a pretty good saying. God, God doesn't like ugly. And that doesn't come by the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. But let me tell you that the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us to not be intimidated and to not fear, oh, look, I, I believe those who are, who are 
speaking the truth in an unkind, unloving, harsh way are doing more harm than good because there are many Christians that are intimidated into silence because they don't want to be identified with that. Let me tell you that it is possible by the power of the Holy Spirit to speak the truth in love. And you don't have to sacrifice one for the other. The world's not going to necessarily see the love because for some people the truth becomes hateful. But we must make sure that if they see hate, it is not really hate there. It is their own perception. We are speaking the truth in love. They were bold. They refused to be intimidated. They refused to be intimidated by what these people could do to them. This is just weeks away from them taking Jesus to the cross. And Peter knows what they can do. It's not too far away from them putting James to death. This is a time when you could legitimately lose your life. And Peter says, I refuse to be intimidated. I'm going to speak the truth, and I'm going to speak it in love, but I'm going to speak it boldly. God, grant to us a heart to speak the truth and to stand for the truth, but to do it with love and to do it boldly. Boldness is not unloving. Boldness is speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need the Holy Spirit, not just to speak the truth from this pulpit, not just to speak the truth when we're sharing the gospel, but to stand for the truth every opportunity we get. And that's what happens when the Holy Spirit, when we talk about the Holy Spirit coming on the church, we're not talking about just having an exciting service, though I love when the Holy Spirit shows up in a service and we have an exciting service. I'm talking about the power and the boldness when we go out into this world to speak boldly and stand for the truth. They pray and they said, Lord, give us boldness. And look what happened. When they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. We are all, we all have the Holy Spirit. He's indwelling us. And we pray for His filling. We need the filling of the Spirit to live every single day. But let me tell you that there are moments and there are times in our Christian life, in our Christian ministry, in our Christian service when we need a special endowment, a special anointing of the Holy Spirit to have the boldness to speak the Word. That's what Paul was talking about when he told the church of Thessalonica, our gospel came not to you just in word only, but it came in the Holy Spirit and in power and in great assurance. And they prayed and great boldness came on them. I want you to know that what we need for the days ahead, if opposition increases, and it probably will, I'm not being pessimistic, I'm being realistic, and I want to prepare you, I want to be prepared for whatever takes place, for whatever comes, for whatever opposition, whether it's just simply a friend or a neighbor saying, I don't want to hear about the gospel, or whether it's the government, or whether it's big business, or whether it's big technology beginning to try to censor the church and tell us what we can preach and what we can't preach. It doesn't matter who it is. I want us to be so spirit-filled that we will speak the truth with boldness as they did in this chapter because that's the, that's the greatest thing that we draw from this is to be steadfast 
in the truth. To be steadfast in the truth. That's what Latimer was saying when he said, Mr. Ridley, play the man. Be steadfast in the truth. There's really two ways that our world will call on us to do this. One is to participate in lies. To ignore what we know to be true. To ignore what we know to be spiritually and otherwise true and go along with their lies because we're intimidated. We live in a day when, you know, we've heard for years science matters. and Now science doesn't matter anymore. It's all about what you feel and what you think. And we're, we're, we're encouraged, we're, we're bullied, we're pushed to go along with those lies and to deny the truth. Oh, it's okay for you to be religious, but don't say that Jesus is the only way. Don't claim that the gospel is exclusive. Do you know where the exclusivity of the gospel comes from? It doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from a Baptist church. It doesn't come even from Peter and from John. It comes from Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. You don't get any more exclusive than that. And the world will say, change on that. You need to mellow out. You need to, you need to adapt to the times. They're calling for us to, to not be steadfast in the truth. How will we do that? We will do that by proclaiming the gospel. The message that every person, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every person, not a certain group, not a certain lifestyle, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And every person needs to hear that message. What do we do with that sinful condition? First of all, we acknowledge that we are sinners and that there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. We believe that Jesus died for our sins and that he rose again the third day. And then we confess him as our Lord and Savior. And that's the message that they preached, and it's the message that we preach. They said to them, look, our problem with what you're preaching is not that you're doing good deeds. Our problem is, is that you're saying Jesus rose from the dead. Quit preaching that resurrection message. Quit saying something is true. Just push it aside. And what did the disciples say? We cannot but preach what we have seen and heard. What had they seen? They had seen the resurrected Christ. And our world says, deny what you know to be true. Push aside the truth. Don't speak the truth. That's the, that's the part of the message that's offensive. And what do we have to do? We have to be steadfast in that message. How could they boldly go into this? Because they were preaching a resurrected Christ. And they knew that the same power, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead would raise them from the dead. They knew that if they laid down their lives, as all but one of the disciples would do, as many in the early church would do, and as many in the early centuries of the church would do, and as many throughout the centuries would do, and as many today are doing, that if they lay down their life, 
Paul said, we put our lives on the line. We risk our lives. Why? Because we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he will, be, he will raise us from the dead. And the same Holy Spirit that raised Peter from the dead, that raised John from the dead, that raised Ridley and Latimer from the dead, is the same Spirit that will raise us from the dead. And so we can persevere. We can stand steadfast in the truth of the gospel. Is this something just for centuries ago? Is this just something for the 1500s, for Peter and John? Seven years ago, four young Christians in Baghdad, Canon Andrew White, an Anglican pastor in the city of Baghdad, shared this story. Four young Iraqi Christians, all under the age of 15, pressured by militants to renounce Jesus and to follow Muhammad. And these young believers looked at these men who they knew would take their lives, and they said, we've followed Jesus, we love Jesus, He's never left us. We're not going to forsake him. They gave them one more opportunity, and knowing the consequences, the four said, we will not renounce Jesus. And instantly they took their lives. How can even someone that young stay steadfast in the truth? You know what they did? They played the man. They stayed steadfast to the end. They could do so because of the full assurance of the Holy Spirit in their hearts that Jesus would raise them from the dead. I don't know what we will face in opposition. Some of us will go through our entire life and probably never face any opposition to the gospel. Some will face minor opposition. I don't know what the future holds, and I won't try to speculate. But I will know, and I will say this, that every believer in every time and in every place must reach the place where we lay our lives down and we say, I am a living sacrifice, and you can kill this body, but my life is God's. And we play the man. We stay steadfast in the truth. Will you bow your heads with me this morning? The truth that I want to proclaim to you this morning, if you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, some of this may seem strange to you. Why would someone risk their life over just some, some words or a story? I want you to know it's more than a story. It's more than some fictional account. It is the truth that Jesus Christ died for your sins. But he also rose again the third day. And he has said that if you will confess him, to believe in the heart and confess him with your mouth, then He will give you the gift of eternal life. I want you to know this morning you can receive that gift. And if you've never done so, you can do, you can do so right where you are. You can come down the aisle. That won't save you, but we'll take the Scriptures and show you more about how you can know Jesus as your Savior. Christians, let me ask you this. Are you bold for the truth? Are you ready for whatever opposition will come? Or have you allowed the pressures of those around us to intimidate you 
into not speaking the truth, not sharing the gospel, not taking a stand for the truth. It's so much easier just to be quiet and let things pass. I'm not talking about being mean or ugly or offensive, but maybe this morning you need to pray and say, God, give me boldness to pray the prayer of the church in Acts chapter 4. Lord, give us boldness to speak your word. Maybe there's somebody God's put on your heart that you need to share the gospel with and you've been timid about it and you need a special anointing of the Holy Spirit. Maybe this morning to be bold to speak to them the gospel. Whatever God may speak to your heart this morning, we're going to have a time of invitation, maybe another burden or need on your heart. Whatever God may speak to you about, I invite you to come. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. If God is speaking to your heart this morning, I invite you to come. Maybe you need boldness to speak out in your family. Maybe you need boldness to speak the truth to someone that you work with. Maybe you need boldness to share the gospel with a family member. Maybe you've gotten tired of standing for the truth and you've just gotten quiet. You've just stepped back and I'm not going to say anything. Maybe you've let people who are a little too bold and a little too mean intimidate you from speaking because you don't want to come you don't want to be like them I can't allow the deeds or misdeeds of someone else to keep me from obedience to Christ Father give us boldness Holy Spirit boldness that says do what you must that says with the three Hebrew boys in the book of Daniel God is able to deliver us, but if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow. That we can say to this world, God loves you. And here's the message of the gospel. And you may allow us to proclaim it. You may try to stop us from proclaiming it. But it doesn't matter. We're still going to be obedient. We're going to be faithful. I'm so thankful for our Palooza team. I'm thankful for our CEF teams. I'm thankful for individuals that are sharing the gospel. I'm thankful for our missionaries that are going around the world. I'm thankful for our pastor that's preaching the gospel around our country, proclaiming the message of the gospel boldly and in the power of the Spirit. Father, None of us know what the future holds, but we are glad that we will walk into it with you by our side and the Holy Spirit within us. Thank you for the example of a Spirit-filled church and how they responded. Lord, the circumstances are different. The people are different. The opposition may look different, but we have the same Spirit in us. Empower our church to be bold witnesses in our community. There are people all around us that need to hear the gospel, not be persuaded to an ideology, not be converted to a political view, but who need Jesus. Give us boldness to speak his name. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that is here this morning to speak through the word that he inspired. May he continue to speak to us in the days ahead of these truths. We pray and ask this all in the name of Jesus.